I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today I get to speak with Tony Bravo. Tony's a writer in our arts department, and we recently debuted his new column that explores what art is like from a patron's point of view. So far, he's explored movies, talked about the role of drag shows in his artistic development, and talks about what it means to be a good audience member. In our interview, we'll learn a little more about Tony, what he loves about the Bay's art scene, and most of all, his pet peeves. We'll also talk about our experiences as teenagers in the theater and what musicals we just don't want to listen to anymore. That's coming up next on Fifth Emission. Tony Bravo, welcome to Fifth Emission. Thanks for having me, Chief. Um, we're here to talk about your new column. You have two that are already in the can yes. and another one coming up. And it's mostly about exploring the art scene in the Bay Area, which you have been doing since you were a baby Bravo. Yes. So why don't we talk, why don't we get started with what attracts you to the Bay Area art scene and why do you think it's so unique? Well, first of all, the thing that I wanted to explore in my column that I felt like we didn't really have a vehicle for yet at Datebook was the fan side and kind of the audience side of the arts. I grew up in the Bay Area. I went to the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts for high school. I saw at a very early age that there can be really intense, really in, really passionate reactions to not only art that people are seeing in the moment, but to entire art scenes, entire performing uh, genres, um, whole worlds that people know so much about and get so passionately engaged with. And I wanted to tell some of those stories. Do you think that's unique to the Bay Area or just what art does to people in general? I think it can be what art does in general. But I think big cities that have big art communities really um, get passionate crowds. And I think people move to places like San Francisco, like New York, like Oakland, like Chicago, because of the art scenes. I mean, that's part of why you live in a city, I hope, is so you can go out all the time and experience all the things we have to offer. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we have at the Chronicle that is unique is a huge art staff that still covers classical music and pop music and, and fine art and theater. And a lot of newspapers have cut back on that. I feel like if we even tried to do that, we would be like out of business in a second because people are very passionate about the art scene here. What do you think makes a good audience member? Um, paying attention. Um, <laughs> that helps. So I said, I think, in my first column that I don't think being a good audience member is about just sitting still quietly in the dark for a long time. You have to be engaged with the material. So the example that I brought up about how I learned how to be engaged with the material was I used to go to a film series called Midnight Mass when I was in high school. There was a drag movie presentation where you had to know your stuff. People shouted dialogue at the screen. People added their own one-liners. People would come in costumes. You had to know the movie if you were going to participate in any way. And I think that people, while not always necessarily attending a drag queen screening of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark or Pink Flamingos, I think they bring that kind of intensity to going to the ballet, 
to going to the opera, to going to a Metallica concert. We know how popular Metallica is here, especially yes, with our chronicle the, readers. Off the charts every time we write about Metallica. I mean, what do you think that that has stayed consistent over the years or that it has changed in the Bay Area? I think that it ebbs and flows in some ways um, as the population has changed over the years. Uh, certainly there was a great older generation, um, like maybe let's say baby boomers, uh, that really brought a kind of expertise to especially some of the fine arts and some of the classical arts. Um, I'm thinking particularly of like certain groups of gay men that were really decimated by the AIDS crisis that understood why ballet needed to look a certain way or why there were certain traditions in opera. And we certainly lost a chunk of them in the 1980s during the epidemic. I think, though, that um, as the way we experience art has changed in the Bay Area, a lot because of technology that's been developed here, like social media, like streaming services, uh, we bring the attachment and the passion in a different way. For example, (laughs) yesterday I tweeted something about a new comic book movie coming out, and I was reminded that people feel as passionately about the casting of superheroes as, let's say, that previous generation that might be really big opera fans or really big musical theater fans felt about, you know, uh, whether or not Maria Callas sang like this or she sang like that. You know, <laughs> they they absolutely have really strong opinions about this. So your tweet was about um, was about a black actress being cast as Catwoman, right? Yes. And is that, I mean, is that still controversial? Apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, who who wrote back to you? Um, I had a lot of people write back to me. Um, I think the tweet has something like 800 retweets and over 1,000 likes. There were some people that felt that Catwoman, a fictional character, had to be portrayed as a white woman, even though I pointed out that, in fact, two black actresses have already played, have her. Already played her, especially the great Eartha Kitt. Um, I think a lot of people would choose to forget the Halle Berry film of the same name. <laughs> yes. But I, I thought it was a great example, though, of how, um, in some cases, art has replaced religion for people when it comes to the thing that they get very passionate about, that they have hugely, strongly held beliefs about. And that they're willing to, you know, send some really nasty tweets to somebody they don't know because they disagree with my opinion. Well, don't you also think – I mean I, I I worry that politics and our just general deterioration of discourse and respect for each other is also making its way into the audience. Like I, I – It used to be that only when I walked into movie theaters and airports would my blood pressure shoot up. And it was because I can't stand the people talking next to me. And I feel like I see it all the time now. And people want to, I mean, maybe you would say interact. I would say be very rude and express their opinions during a performance. Is that, am I just getting old? Well, so I think there's two different things here at play. Being engaged with what you're seeing does not mean that you have to talk back to the screen. Um, or that you need to offer your opinions right there in the moment, um, even though that was a lot of fun to do at Peaches Christ Midnight Mass. It was when appropriate I was a kid. there, right? Um, I think in general, politics has so um, I I don't know if I should say infused or infested the way we look at the world, and it's given people permission in some cases, to say some very ugly things because they are ascribing it to a certain set of 
political beliefs or a opposing what they see as something like, quote, identity politics or political correctness. I don't really know what either one of those things mean. I always just thought calling people the thing they preferred to be called was good manners. But <laughs> some people apparently think that that's a bad thing. Yeah. So what, one of the things that you do here for us is that you go to all the super fancy openings of the art season. So the beginning of the symphony and the ballet and the opera and, and so many more. Um, what is it like from your perspective to cover the first night of something like that as opposed to like a regular performance? So Besides the, f- the fact that you have to dress up more. Yes. And I, I see you with those things all the time, yes. too. It's it's kind of your duty as editor in chief yes, to be it's seen. Yes, oh, I mean it's a good part of the job. I would say. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, one of the things that I think is really significant to point out about these is we get a lot of kind of chronicle hate mail about these are just events for the one percent and look at all these people parading around in their outfits. And I think we need to point out that the people that buy the very expensive gala tickets, that buy the tables. They're philanthropists that are supporting the fact that the opera will continue to exist, that the symphony, that the ballet, that ACT, name the organization, will exist. The ticket sales from your general performances maybe keep the lights on in those houses. The philanthropy is what actually allows us to continue to go to them. What I look for at those opening nights, though, in terms of the reactions, are less the people in the several thousand dollar gowns and the sometimes several million dollar sets of jewelry. I look for the people that buy the balcony tickets, that get like the farthest away tier that are so passionate that they want to see this one night only limited program at the symphony or at the ballet or that they have to be there to see the first uh, Gounod, Romeo and Juliet in many years at San Francisco Opera. They know so much about these art forms frequently. They give me not only the best quotes, but they remind me of things that maybe I, I forgotten or that I didn't know about the art. And that's really exciting. I think it's also, um, I don't know if you would agree, but, you know, there's a certain uh, person who will go to all the openings, but maybe they won't go to the next performance or they won't see uh, uh, Billy Budd or like whatever. They won't yeah. go to the next one. But there are so many devotees of these are even really small theaters that you must see. Do you see the same people out all the time? I do. Not only do I see the same people that come for what I kind of think of as the fashion show part of the night, um, but I see people that have kind of their lists with them, that have things that they're checking off that they're seeing that season. Um, the standing room lines at the ballet, at the opera, are fantastic people watching because these are people that will say, oh, I was at the ring cycle in 1976. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I didn't care for that one. I hope that this one is better. Didn't I see you with the one in 1980? Uh, they're like war buddies almost. Like For them, this is almost a form of uh, loving combat especially when they disagree with each other. Yes, that's true. Do you you know you you mentioned at the beginning that you went to the Ruthasawa school uh, which is a, a fine arts school yeah. in the city. Uh, you have to have an art to get into it. What was your what got you into Ruthasawa? So when I was at Ruthasawa, it was before they had a writing program actually. The thing that I studied was classical voice. So um, So you're a singer. 
I was. Um, <laughs> Not it, anymore. It has since rested over whatever is in there. <laughs> whatever was there. Do you, what do you think about the next generation? Do you see a lot of, you know, maybe not the baby boomers, but millennials and younger coming to these places? What's the future of the art scene in San Francisco? I do. I mean, at big organizations like the ones we keep talking about, opera, symphony, ballet, ACT, they've done a lot to uh, to reach out to those audiences. They have young professional groups. They have young professional nights. They have queer nights. They have things that are reaching out to these niche audiences. What I think is interesting is going to, like, the gallery scene and that you see primarily now um, younger audiences, sometimes tech audiences. I think the tech community gets a very bad reputation for not being interested in the arts. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Like, there are some people that are out of tech that are interested in arts. There are some people out of tech that are not. It's probably pretty equally distributed. Um, But the other thing that's really interesting is that thing we were talking about with online culture is that you kind of know, um, based on who you follow, um, what they're watching and what they're into based on what they're tweeting about, what they're putting on Facebook. So like when a new series drops, when there's some interesting new like attraction type thing, experience, attraction, museum, like the Museum of Ice Cream or the museum, or the Color Factory. Um, you see their selfies and pictures they're posting of themselves there. You kind of get what they're engaging with. So I don't think that um, people have stopped going to the arts by any means. I just think it's distributing itself in different ways now. Are there any arts um, events that you dread going to or dread covering? <laughs> um You're too polite, you wouldn't say. I am a little too polite. I will say that I have had to grit my teeth a couple of times in, like, really, really young children's theater. But that's because I'm not a parent. If I had a kid up there, I'm sure I would be absolutely You mean, like, the children's theater down the street at Yerba Buena, that sort of stuff? It's okay. Oh, no, not – I haven't actually experienced that Oh, well, you can come with the Cooper family next time we go, Tony. I think you need to expand your repertoire. But then (laughs) there will be a child I know that I'm rooting for. By the way, I was that child. I was too. (laughs) I think it gives me flashbacks. Yeah, so, okay, children's I can't listen to Oliver at all without going, oh, oh my – it's like my Vietnam, quite frankly. I get flashbacks to it. (laughs) Consider yourself one of us. No. That that will be the next podcast maybe. Why why Tony hates Oliver so much. For me, it was Annie. Oh, right. I was in Annie a lot. For girls, it was Annie. For boys, it was Oliver, I feel like. Um, Who did you play in Annie? I'm curious. (laughs) Were you Pepper? (laughs) No. No, but that would have been a You would have been great as Pepper. I was a maid once. Uh, oh, in the and, Warbucks uh, house? Yeah. You know, my fiancé and I tried to watch the film of Annie, the um, John Huston and Ryan King film, recently. And at one point we turned to each other and we're like, I didn't realize there were so many kids in this. Do you want to turn do, it do off? Do you want to – like, yeah, Carol Tony. Burnett isn't in it nearly enough. Yes, that's true. You're you're going to be invited down the hill from your house to mine, and we will do a whole theater night, kids friendly theater. All right. Um, all right. I so, look forward to it. I need to expand my horizons <laughs> like everyone else. So, my last question: What is your pet peeve when you go to see something? Cell phones. I am uh, going to say Thank that you. You, if you. Went out for the evening. You can put your cell phone away for the hour and forty minutes that the that the first act is, and you can engage in what you're seeing. I don't think that people need to be um, policed or punished or shamed. I think Lily wrote about that recently, 
But I do think that basic good manners do not stop when you walk into a theater. For some of us, it is a religious experience. It's a temple. And if you wouldn't do it in church, don't do it in the current. Well, they might do it in church, too. Well, they're wrong then, too. They're wrong then, too. Tony, I'm really enjoying your column, and I really appreciate the perspective that you bring because the arts are what make this an amazing place to live. So thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me write about something I'm so passionate about. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you to Tony Bravo for being with us today. You can find his new column at datebook.sfchronicle.com. Thanks to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.